the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News. WTBN. Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And as I told you last week, the Tenth Commandment is the most, without question, the most convicting the most devastating of all the commandments because it doesn't even give you room to breathe. As I told you last week, it goes right for the jugular. It condemns the very first movement of our hearts towards sin. The Tenth Commandment, the warning against coveting, is the one that really reveals our depravity. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will begin his final message on the Ten Commandments, a three-part message that will help you and me to obey this seemingly impossible order from the Lord. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. My name is Peter Silseth, and on behalf of Pastor Steve, I'd like to welcome you to today's class. All of our previous classes in this series are available on our website, so if you'd like to hear the ones you might have missed, stick around at the end of the class, and I'll tell you how you can get them. Basel is famous around Switzerland and Europe for its ancient masked carnival, or Faschnacht, a three-year affair starting on the Monday after Mardi Gras. The masks embolden people to do things and go places they would never consider without the masks. Dr. Kenneth Gangle tells us that one year the Salvation Army was so concerned about the abandonment of moral standards that they put up signs all over the city that read, God sees behind the mask. The Tenth Commandment is one of the tools that he uses to penetrate our masks. Now here's Pastor Steve with more. One of the great medical breakthroughs and techniques of our day is the procedure commonly known as the MRI, the Magnetic Resonance Imaging. And the enormous benefit of an MRI is that by taking images of the inside of our bodies, it's able to reveal things about our physical condition that's really just just unobservable to outside observation, hidden from outside observation. Well, the Bible tells us that God also has a procedure by which he is able to reveal our true spiritual condition, those things that are hidden in our, in our inner beings, or as the Bible would put it, our hearts, but not obvious, not obvious by outside observation. And the way he does this is by using his word to penetrate deeply into our lives, into our inner beings. He cuts with his word, he peels back whatever is there, and in doing so, he reveals and exposes what is hidden by outside observation. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 tell us this. Let me read it to you. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature 
hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In essence, what what these two verses are saying is that God uses his word to cut deeply into our beings in order to expose what is there. And there is nothing that is hidden from his sight. There is no creature that is hidden from his sight. He sees everything, even the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, honestly, that's a frightening truth. That God sees our thoughts, God reads our minds, God sees everything that's hidden from others. Because Jesus said that from within the heart come all kinds of evils. Out of the heart come, come all kinds of evils. For within our hearts reside all sorts of evil thoughts. One of which, the Bible says, is coveting. Coveting. Now that's what we started studying about last Sunday As we're going to wrap up our series on the Ten Commandments this morning, we began to look at the tenth of the Ten Commandments. And I think, quite frankly, uh, that commandment cuts into us deeply. It exposes how covetous we really are. And as I told you last week, the Tenth Commandment is the most, without question, the most convicting, the most devastating of all the commandments, because it doesn't even give you room to breathe. As I told you last week, it goes right for the jugular. It condemns the very first movement of our hearts towards sin. And unlike the other commandments, which which deal with outward behavior as well as inward behavior, this commandment strictly addresses the heart. It is not a commandment about outward behavior. It is is a commandment solely dealing with inside the heart. And it looks at the heart, it exposes the heart, and it reveals that the heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked. Arthur Pink, in his book on the Ten Commandments, explains exactly why this Tenth Commandment is so distressing to our souls. Here's what he writes. This final precept utters its solemn protest against sin in the inner life. Here and we may behold and adore the boundless dominion or sovereignty of the great God. He proclaims his rights over the hidden realm of desires. His authority reaches to the soul and conscience and lays an obligation upon our very thoughts and imaginations, which no human laws can do. It would be vain for men to impose statutes upon that of which they can take no cognizance. And therefore, our desires and lustings are free from their censure, except so, so far as they discover themselves by overt acts. He writes, But though they escape the commands and notice of men, yet they escape not the scrutiny and sentence of God. For he sees not as men see, neither judges he as men judge. The secrets of all hearts are open and naked before his eyes. Not the least breath of a desire can stir in our souls, but it is more distinctly visible to him than the shining of the midday sun is to us, end of quote. In essence, what what he's saying is that God rules over our hearts and its hidden desires. He looks into our hearts and he sees what others do not see and what he sees is covetousness, desiring what other people have. Now, we want to keep in mind what the definition of coveting really is. The Hebrew word, as we said, covet, basically means to desire, it's also translated delight in. It means to long for, to crave, but, but essentially it's synonymous with the term desire. And it's only the context that determines whether it is a positive or a negative desire. In and of itself, the word covet doesn't tell us 
if it's evil or if it's good. The context tells us, because there are many positive things that Scripture does tell us to desire, and we went over that last week. Many things we ought to long for. Many things we ought to crave spiritually. Many things that are right and and good. But what the 10th commandment forbids, and where it becomes a sin, is that it prohibits us from coveting what other people have. In other words, it is sinful to long for, to crave those things that belong to others. That's what makes coveting sinful. And the commandment reads this way. Exodus 20, verse 17, this is the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, last week, we spent some some time, considerable time, asking and answering one question that pertained to our understanding of this commandment. Usually, we, we ask several questions, but this is such an enormous commandment to cover that we addressed one question last week, and it was the question that goes like this. What is the meaning of the 10th commandment? What exactly does this commandment mean? And as we attempted to unpack the meaning, to unfold it and gain a sense of understanding, what we did is we analyzed this verse, this one commandment. We analyzed four main areas that this commandment specifically addresses and tells us not to covet. First, we're told we are not to covet our neighbor's house. Remember, neighbor used in a generic sense, not the person who lives next door to you, but anybody you know is your neighbor, biblically speaking. Anytime we are dissatisfied with our home or any possession related to our home and long to have the kind of home and possessions that belong to somebody else with more affluence, then we have broken this commandment. Is it wrong to desire a nice house? No. Is it wrong to, to move up to a house that's, that's nicer? No. That's not what this is saying. But what it is wrong to do is to move up to a house because you're not satisfied with what you have. Because somebody who has more money than you or someone even has less money than you has a nicer home than you. And you're motivated by envy and pride and jealousy and a lack of contentment. That's when it becomes wrong. When you feel you have to have it. When, when you're not satisfied with what God gives you and you want more and more for the wrong reasons or anything in a house, any possession... And somebody else has an appliance, the carpet, the, as I said last week, any number of things, closet space, lights, all of those things, the furnishings, you must have it. You have to have it. You're not satisfied with what you have. You don't just admire it. You want it. That's when it's wrong. And that's what we're also guilty of. And that's why this commandment is so devastating. Secondly, we are forbidden to covet our neighbor's wife, meaning that if we are dissatisfied with the person we're married to and wish we were married to someone else's spouse, then we're guilty of breaking the 10th commandment. And there are many people who have just really bad marriages. And in their hearts, they wish that they were not married to this person. Perhaps you got married before you became a believer. Perhaps you got married in in disobedience to the Lord, married a person that you uh, look back on now and you think, this is not what I should have done. Well, this is the person that God in his sovereign plan gave to you. And if you're dissatisfied and you think it would be so much better if I was married to somebody else, that is breaking this commandment. That's wrong. The third area that we looked at and one that we are prohibited from coveting is someone else's leisure time. It is is expressed in in terms of their male and female servants because back then the servants, the slaves that you had provided a man time off. He didn't have to do all the work. He had others to do it. The more slaves you had, the better they worked, the more leisure time you had. 
the more time at ease. So in principle, what this is saying is that if we're envious, jealous of someone else's opportunities to enjoy things in this life, such as vacations, traveling, recreational enjoyment, if you're really uh, envious of that, you have broken this commandment. That's, that's all entailed in this. And a fourth and final area, and one that I think is very important, that we are specifically forbidden to covet, is another, another person's wealth and the status that goes with that wealth. Not just their wealth, but the status, the honor, the prestige that goes with that wealth. And it's expressed in the, in the terms an ox or his donkey. And the thought here is in an agricultural society which is what the Jewish people had, a man's animals brought him prosperity. They were beasts of burdens. They, they did the work on the, on the farm. And the more animals you had, the more prosperous you were. And with prosperity went prestige. You were successful. So any longing or jealousy that we might have towards someone because they have more money than us, or even if they don't have more money than us, they certainly have more prestige and recognition. As successful, that's just sinful. We are coveting the honor that belongs to somebody else. We wish we were honored like that. We wish we were recognized like that. That's what this commandment is talking about. Now that's the basic meaning of the 10th commandment, the four primary areas that, that we're all guilty of, but it, but it goes beyond that. Even if, even if God didn't mention a specific area uh, here in this verse, uh, doesn't mean that you're free of covenant. You look at these areas and say, well, I don't have that big of a problem with any of this. But notice the last phrase of verse 17 says, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So if it wasn't covered here specifically, it covers everything. Anything someone has that you desire because you're not satisfied with what God has provided for you makes you guilty of the sin of covetous, coveting. And thus you are a breaker of God's holy law, just as I am. Now, here's the problem that we face in dealing with this sin. Since coveting is so prevalent in our lives and it permeates our lives in in just about every area, we tend to minimize it. We tend to think it's not that significant because we all have it and I'm so used to it, I'm not even sensitive to it anymore. It's kind of like worrying. It's, It's sort of the acceptable American sin. I don't blush when we say, yeah, I worry. I don't blush when, yeah, I covet. But it is a serious problem. And in order to see the seriousness of it, I want us this morning to ask two more questions that pertain to, uh, to this commandment and give us an understanding, a, f- a full understanding of this commandment. First of all, we ask, what is the meaning of the 10th commandment? And the basic meaning is desiring what, what belongs to somebody else. The second question that helps us to understand this commandment is this. What are the dangers of breaking this commandment? Or what are the consequences? Or what are the effects? How serious is this? Well, it is serious. Someone may not think it is. You may think, well, what's the big deal? Everybody does it. So why is it, uh, what harm can it, can it bring? It's just something in my mind. Just something I think. Well, it is very, very serious. And that's what I want you to see this morning. We want to divide the seriousness of this commandment, of breaking this commandment into two categories. Number one, what danger does coveting pose for an unsafe person? For your, for your literal neighbors, for family members who don't know Christ, perhaps for yourself if you don't know Jesus Christ, how dangerous is this? And then secondly, we'll look at what danger does this pose in the life of a believer? First of all, the most serious consequence of coveting, coveting in the life of a lost person, a person who does not know Jesus Christ, is that it may prevent him from coming to Christ. It, it has the power to grip a heart and it won't let go. 
It is a devastating, devastating sin. I think the most vivid illustration of the grip that coveting can have upon a soul is found in the story of a man who, who came not walking to Jesus, but running to Jesus and asking him how to be saved. What must you do to inherit eternal life? The story is found in Mark chapter 10, so I'd like you to turn there. It's actually also mentioned in uh, Matthew's gospel as well as Luke's gospel. So it's mentioned in all synoptic gospels. Synoptic means the same. The first three gospels are similar. They're not exactly the same. They're similar. And then John's gospel is a little bit different. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, we read this. A fascinating story. Fascinating. Especially fascinating in our Lord's response to this man. As he, meaning Christ, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. Notice he ran up to him and he knelt, he gave him respect and he, and he asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let me stop and comment on this. This man simply thought of Christ as a rabbi, a good rabbi, a good, moral, outstanding teacher. He did not see that he was in the presence of deity. And when Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? What he was doing is trying to bring this man to an understanding that he indeed is God. He's showing him his inconsistencies. You call me good, but only God is good. Yet you don't think I'm God. Why, why do you say this? So, so just so you're not confused at this point, he is just trying to draw this man to a logical conclusion. But what goes on is, in, is incredible. Understand this man came running to Jesus, not walking. He knelt down and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now I'll tell you. If he did this with us, we would be drooling evangelistically over over this prospect. We would be presenting the gospel. This man would not leave our presence until he prayed a prayer of salvation. We would not let him go. This is almost too good to be true. This is like sitting next to somebody on an airplane and they say, I see you're reading your Bible. Do you know how I can get to heaven? I'm confused about this. That's what this is like. We would present the gospel, and yet the amazing thing is that Jesus never presented the gospel. He never told him about his upcoming death on the cross. He never explained the atonement. What he did do was present the Ten Commandments to him. Verse 19, he said, and remember, this is the, the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher... I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Now, this is a fascinating story. Let's just think about this man. First of all, we're told in verse 22 that he owned a lot of property. So, so he was a successful man, wealthy, successful in the eyes of the world. Luke's gospel calls him a ruler, meaning he had some authority, some influence, exactly who he ruled over, we're not told. He's a Jewish man, so he had some kind of authority, maybe some religious authority. Matthew reveals that he was a young man which makes his monetary accomplishments even more remarkable. A very impressive individual. He's young, he's wealthy, he has influence, and he runs to Jesus and he asks him the question we would all love to be asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And as I said, the amazing thing is that Jesus never mentions the gospel. He mentions the commandments, not all the commandments, the last few commandments 
he, he presents to him. And doesn't that surprise you? Why would Jesus do that? It certainly wasn't because Jesus was telling this man that the way to inherit eternal life is the commandments. Obey the commandments. That's not what the Bible says. Not at all. It never says it in the New Testament and never teaches it in the Old Testament. Scripture clearly states that a man is, according to Galatians 2.16, not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself never presented the Ten Commandments as a way to be saved. He always said, believe on me. Those who believe on me have everlasting life. So why this? Why, why tell him anything about the commandments since the commandments could never merit one to heaven? Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for believing that stuff. So why? Why? Well, the answer is this, because the rich young ruler did not see himself as a sinner. He didn't see how desperate he really was. He didn't see his need. He didn't see he was a lost sinner, depraved. He didn't see that he, he had violated God's word. He thought he was, was obedient. In fact, he said that. He said, Lord, I, I've kept, or teacher, I've kept all of these commandments from my youth up. He was a self righteous, religious Jewish man. He was much like the Apostle Paul before his conversion. Yes, he he probably did outwardly keep these commandments, but what he didn't understand, like so many religious people today, he didn't understand that the the law puts puts demands upon our hearts, our, our intentions, our motivations. As we said before, it isn't that you just don't murder somebody. You're not supposed to hate anybody. It isn't that you just don't, uh, just don't commit adultery. You're not to lust in your heart. It's the heart that the Bible is dealing with. And this man failed to understand that. He completely missed the point. He was guilty of breaking all of the commandments, and yet he never saw it. And so what Jesus did is he picked out the most cherished and esteemed sin issue in this man's life, And it was greediness, it was money, it was covetousness. Jesus put his finger on that particular sin nerve and he said, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Instead of just saying, listen, young man, you're guilty of coveting. Jesus translated the commandment about coveting into a practical test. He gave him a test and the test was this. Was this man willing to acknowledge his covetous and idolatrous love of money and repent of it by abandoning his wealth for Christ. In other words, was he willing to give up the God he already had for another God? That's what Jesus is really doing. Would he denounce his God of money and embrace Christ's lordship? That's really the thought here. Because remember, Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 6 that no man can serve two masters. I mean, that's not even logical. You can't serve two masters. You can only serve one master. If you have two masters, then neither of them are your master. You cannot serve God. He said you cannot serve mammon, which is another word for wealth. You can't do that. But this man was serving wealth. This man already had a God. And listen, you don't add Jesus to your life and keep your your gods. You don't do that. You have to repent of whatever idol you have in your life in order to embrace Jesus. He's not one more God that you add to have our complete submission And so Christ was putting this man to the test. Which would he choose? Who would be his master, money or Jesus? And the tragic result of this test is that the man failed. The man decided that he would continue to love money. How incredibly sad it is that someone would choose to inherit the world and in so doing, lose their soul for eternity. But that's what happened in this man's life. And it's the choice that people continue to make to this very day. 
Greed is a merciless master, but it's a master we do not have to serve. You have been listening to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio versions of Pastor Steve's messages come to you through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. To learn more about us, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you'd like to listen again to today's class or pick up any previous ones you have missed, click on the archives link. To order a CD or cassette with this entire three-part message, call us at 727-239-0306. A.W. Tozier reminded us that money often comes between us and God. You can go to a majestic mountain overlook and block out the whole panorama with just 20 cents, one dime in front of each eye. The mountains are still there, but we can no longer see them. Religion has become a big business in our country. On the next Verse by Verse, we will look at how the love of money hurts both unsaved people and the believer. I hope you can join us. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. If you're concerned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.